You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from Associate Pastor Ash Meany. Now, if you're anything like me, when you became a Christian, prayer was this incredible adventure of wonder, awe, and excitement. It feels as though you have the most intimate relationship with Jesus. And it feels like anything you pray for gets immediate results, filled with passion, faith, and excitement. When I first became a Christian and discovered prayer, I was so excited, I prayed for anything that moved, anything that had air in its lungs, I prayed for. But it's not long before the euphoria, adventure, and excitement begin to fade, and we're faced with circumstances and challenges we didn't expect. We face discouragements, difficulties, dangers that cause the initial fire and passion for prayer to fade out. Or we're hit with situations in our lives or we see circumstances in our world and the headlines that seem so overwhelming and insurmountable. They cause us to question the effectiveness of prayer. Perhaps you felt this way this week. I know I did. And like many in the Bible, we find ourselves faced with a challenge, don't we? Of living in the land between. The land between the promises of God and the harsh reality of the brokenness in our world. Anyone familiar with the land between? And when we find ourselves standing in this place, we're given a choice. A choice to harden our hearts to get compassion fatigue by what we're seeing, to give up praying and settle for the way things are, believing that nothing will change, or we can rise up and awaken our spiritual muscle of intercessory prayer and become the people of prayer God is calling us to become for the sake of our city, our nation, and our world. God is always looking for people who will stand in the gap between the reality of our broken world and his promises and his kingdom, who will listen for his heart, plans and purposes and respond in tenacious, stubborn prayer and not give up. An intercessor is a go-between or advocate who represents and pleads a case to God. A person who stands in the gap on behalf of a situation or person and cries out to God for breakthrough. It's taking hold of God's will and refusing to let go until his kingdom breaks in. It's a place of warfare and battle where we push back against the darkness in people's lives or in the darkness over our city. It's the place of lament and pain where we wrestle things out with God. And it's praying and trusting in God to act, even if it's not in the manner or timing we seek. If you like, metaphorically, it's holding on to God's promises, will and character in one hand and a situation, personal circumstance in another and pulling them together in prayer. I once did this in a gym many, many, many years ago. (laughs) The writer... 
And theologian Walter Wink says this fantastic quote about the power of intercession. History belongs to intercessors who believe the future into being. And you see the strategic nature and power of intercessory prayer throughout God's story. One classic example in Genesis is when God prepares to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as he does, he opens up his plans to Abraham. And you'll know this story. Abraham then goes into this intercessory. It's almost like an intercessory argument with God. But God, but God, but God, pushing in deeper and deeper and deeper in intercessory prayer. Abraham, knowing that Lot Lot lives there, begins to intercede before God on behalf of those in the city. And he begins his prayer with these words. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? And you know the story. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When Nehemiah hears the report of the condition of God's people and the temple, he cries out in intercession with these words. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Isaiah himself, standing in the prophetic tradition of intercessory prayer, like Jesus, prays with prophetic vision, not just for himself, but for his own generation and for future generations. And he begins an incredible prayer with these words. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you as fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. I mean, that should be read in a dramatized voice, shouldn't it? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Marvel scriptwriters couldn't get close to this stuff, could they? Incredible language of an intercessory cry for God's kingdom to break in and to change what Isaiah can see going on in God's people and the nation. And as you read through these prayers, you get a sense of the go-between nature of the intercessor, placing themselves between the heart of God and the hand of God, between what they see God doing and what they know God wishes to do. And they cry out, If you like, they become the point person of his heart in a situation. And you can see this type of prayer modelled in the life of Jesus. In an echo of Jeremiah's prayer over the condition of God's people, as Jesus arrives in the triumphal entry, we often celebrate this at Easter as he comes into Jerusalem in the midst of all of the celebration and his eyes catch Jerusalem and the temple He breaks down in what is this sort of prophetic cry and intercessory prayer over what he knows is the brokenness of his people. And he says these words, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. See, he recognized, just like Nehemiah, just like Jeremiah, the brokenness of God's people and cries out, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Oh Lord, don't let that be us. We also capture the agony of his intercessory cries in the Garden of Gethsemane 
in Matthew where he cries, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And again, Jesus, back and forth, back and forth, goes into this intercessory cry before God. And then in the Gospel of John, it's fantastic, one of my favorite chapters. I think I say that every time I preach. Now I've got to stop saying those words. One of my favorite verses. Um, But it is one of my favorite all-time prayers in the Bible. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus looks to heaven and prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. He then goes on to what could be argued as one of the best intercessory prayers in the Bible. Praying for his disciples and then praying for all believers, including you and I. If you haven't spent time soaking in that prayer, do so. It's one of the most incredible prayers. And this way of praying goes on to play a crucial role in the history of the church. The Hebridean revival was started by two elderly sisters, housebound and infirm, who were unable to attend church, so they made their small home their prayer closet. Peggy and Christine Smith were 82 and 84. And though they were physically weak, one was blind and the other crippled with arthritis. These women were huge intercessors. And they were convicted that the Lord had given them this verse, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, verse 3, for their island. Listen to this. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And so they set to it and they contended in prayer day and night, falling on their knees and crying out to God until his presence fell and revival broke out. It was said that the tangible, visible presence and cloud of God's glory could be seen at night hovering over the Hebrides. The pubs emptied and the crime rate went down. There's not a revival or great move of God that hasn't begun with this kind of prayer. We know the names of the revivalists, but we often don't know the names of the unknown saints who prayed it into being on their knees in their prayer closets or in their prayer meetings. Prayer has the capacity to change people, circumstances, and even a whole nation. Do you believe it? Look at the importance, I know the importance politics plays. I know it's important for the church to be involved in politics and legislation, but politics can't save a nation. Only God can do that. And he's chosen to do it through a people who are found on their knees in intercessory prayer. That's where change begins. This scripture always comes back. Many of you will be familiar with it. This is what the writer of Chronicles reminds us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You see, intercession's not pestering God until he gives us what we want. It's learning his heart so that we pray his heart back to him. It's learning his story. It's learning his character. It's learning his will. And we pray it back to him. It's a powerful mixture of empathy, heartbreak, and anger at what we see with the Holy Spirit. Getting God's perspective on the world, seeing what he sees. And growing in our ability to cry out with what Paul describes in Romans as groans that words can't express. Listen to how he describes it in Romans. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit in us intercedes. It knows, it sees. So when we're filled with the Spirit, it's quite natural that one of our responses is to feel this sense of God's broken heart for our culture, this wordless groan of, oh, this is not right. And it's that that draws us to our knees in prayer in crying out with wordless groans. So we're not praying empty words or platitudes. We're praying in the Spirit's power with the belief and faith that prayer actually changes things. You know the stories. Gare, our senior pastor, shared one a few weeks ago. When someone has woken up in the middle of the night and a name, situation, or circumstance is placed on their heart, so they fall on their knees in intercessory prayer and call out to God, while at the same time, somewhere else in the world, that person's situation or circumstance experiences a breakthrough. And the person praying often doesn't find out till years later. I've read it in story after story, biography after biography. Gare shared his own story of how that happened to him. God doesn't need a people who complain about the country, the city, the politics, or the church, and then post the complaints all over social media. As tempting as that is, boy, I was tempted this week. But he's after a people who will set aside their desires and go after his. And that's what intercession is. It's a conscious move away from a self-centered prayer life to a God-centered prayer life that then makes us pray an other-centered prayer life. That's the movement of intercessory prayer. It's other-centered. It's waking up to the reality of what's going on, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And what we do is, is that we willingly step in to this battle in prayer and declare, not on my watch. Do you know who my God is? That's the kind of confidence we can have as we enter in to spiritual battle in the place of prayer. The great Oswald Chambers reminds us, it's a wonderful quote, the prayer of the feeblest saint. I mean, doesn't that give you hope? 
the prayer of the feeblest saint who lives in the spirit and keeps right with God is a terror to Satan. The very powers of darkness are paralyzed by prayer. No spiritualistic seance can succeed in the presence of a humble praying saint. No wonder Satan tries to keep our minds fussy with active work until we cannot think in prayer. I worked for seven years with a non-profit that worked with kids with HIV. And for those seven years, I came along 15 families. I got to know 15 boys um, of different ages and stages and brothers and different um, mixes. And, and uh, it was one of the most gloriously heartbreaking seven years journey of my life. And as an organization, we decided to begin to fast and pray for our families. We were working with over 200 families in London, and then we had a, a, a ministry that we were connected with. We had people in India, in Calcutta, and then down south, and then uh, a few people in Africa. And then we decided to sort of extend our fasting and praying and, and interceding. We, we would end the fast with a night of worship and prayer. And then um, someone decided to sort of say, let's do three days. So we did three days. And then I stupidly said, why don't we do seven days? And so we went over a period of a few years, going from one day prayer and fasting to three days prayer and fasting to seven days prayer and fasting. Listen, if you ever want to hear um, food speak to you through the fridge, Try a seven-dayer. Honestly, I'd open up the fridge to get water out and it would just talk to me. Um, but here's the thing. We would end every fast with a night of worship and praying. And there were these moments um, when we would be praying for our families and we would have very live, very horrible. We'd, we'd often feel completely overwhelmed by the tsunami of tragedy in the world of HIV and children around the world and in, in the UK. And so we'd sit before this and we'd cry out to God and we'd worship and we'd cry out to God and we'd worship. And there'd be this moment in the space where all of a sudden the sort of Holy Spirit would take what we were praying and it would sort of set it on fire, if you like, for a metaphor. And what began happening is what we were praying was no longer sort of our own prayers. We all shifted gear as a team and we went into this incredible time of just lamenting and crying out and screaming and, and out loud. And God, no, how long? Not on, this is not right. No, we push it back. And they were the most glorious moments of spirit-filled intercessory prayers. We cried out and felt God's heart over the world of HIV. I miss those days. They were days when I cut my teeth on how to learn to intercede and pray. I mean, as painfully glorious as they were. Intercession is both a gift and a calling. Some people are called to be intercessors. Some people will have that gift. They will know that they know that they're called to pray intercessory prayers. But I tell you, every one of you, at some point in your journey, will be faced with a situation and you'll be faced with the choice. What am I going to do here? Am I going to dial out and give up to the circumstances? Or is God provoking me? Is the circumstances, are they going to provoke me to respond in prayer? And some of you will be right now in that place. And something happens when we get the bit between the teeth and we decide to get stubbornly tenacious in our prayer and we say, no, enough. I'm going to pray for this. 
The invitation is to become the kind of person whom God can trust to carry his heart and respond in prayer. What if the church, I don't know, what if the church just simply stopped ranting on social media and put all that time and energy into praying? What would happen in this nation? You know, sorry, I'm going off, I'm going off a bit. I'll calm it down. But I mean, it gets too much sometimes. I think, look, just stop. Let's pray. Let's, let's just pray. I sometimes reflect on the journey of Israel. I don't know if you do this, but I sometimes reflect on the journey of Israel and the seasons they went through. You know, there were some seasons when Israel were really good, weren't they? You know, so full of faith. God, we worship you. It's awesome. You are the God of gods. Yay, yay, yay. Yay, Lord. Yay, Lord. And then times get tough and they kind of dial out. They fade away. And then it goes on and on and on. They pick up idolatries and they have this season. You know, good years, bad years. <laughs> and I read those moments and I sometimes say to myself, Oh, Lord, please don't let me be in a season of just dialing out. Please don't let me be. What if future generations look back to us and said, yeah, I mean, you know, good worship. But, you know, we just, we just you know, do you know what I mean? Do you feel that? I just, I just, I just want to be a part of something, that, of God's people, that decide to rise up, to awaken and to pray and to be a season where God says, these are my people, these are my children. This is what it looks like to be the people of God. So here's a little strategy to help us get there. Five things. I'm just going to quickly go through them. Five things. Grow deeper in friendship with God. Number one, grow deeper in friendship with God. When we allow God more deeply into our lives and in our relationship with him, we grow in our understanding of what he's actually like and what concerns him. We don't need to look too far. We don't need to make anything up. We just know that we know because it's the nature of our relationship with him. So grow deeper. Make a determination to grow deeper in your friendship with God. Number two, grow in your knowledge and meditation of scripture. There is no way around it. One of the best ways to get greater insight is to read and meditate on the prayers in Scripture themselves. See why that person is praying that prayer. Look at the context of where that prayer has come out of. Look at it, study it, meditate on it, and then watch leading up to that prayer, and then thereafter, what God does in response. What is going on when you read a prayer in the Bible? Get some of the classic big prayer moments in the Bible and sit in them, meditate on them, soak in them, furnish your prayer life with those prayers and then watch what happens to your prayer. Number three, grow in your ability to be still and listen. Those of you who have done emotionally healthy spirituality or are on it right now, show of hands if you've done emotionally healthy spirituality or on it, fantastic, yay, You'll know one of the big challenges of that course is that it's a constant reminder. We gotta slow down. We've got to slow down. 
It's so hard to listen and hear and to discern God's voice if we're all running at 150 miles an hour. We have to stop the hamster wheels in our head. I once said out loud in a sermon, shoot the hamsters. It didn't go down too well, so I won't say that here. Um, But we... (laughs) You know what I mean. You know what I mean. We're just running at such a pace. One aspect of intercession is discerning what God wants to do. And as we learn to still our hearts before him and open our ears to what he's saying, we then get insight and pray for the things he wants to do. Number four, take your eyes off yourself and focus them on Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself and focus them on Jesus. It doesn't matter what we sound like or how we come across to others when we pray. What matters is that we're engaging with the Spirit of God. So we keep our eyes on him and our hearts and mouths will learn how to respond. I know it can be uncomfortable praying out loud, especially if you're not an extrovert or if you're an introvert like me. It can be such a struggle There was a giggle. I heard that. I know it's hard, but we have to be people that learn how to come together at certain crisis moments and pray out loud and cry to God. And if you don't know how to do that, then just practice it at home. I've had some of the best intercessory prayer moments late at night in my bedroom, crying out to God, worshipping over something that's on my heart or something that's on his heart. Fifth, ask yourself... What gets you angry or provokes you to pray? What gets you angry or provokes you to pray? Righteous anger is often an entirely appropriate reaction to what we see going on in the world. If you didn't get righteously angry about what happened this week or what's happening around the world right now, I want to ask you to just check if you've got a pulse. We were created not to be able to look at that stuff and not somehow go, oh, this is wrong. Evil is wrong. It's it's what we're created to see. But it's how we respond with the anger that matters. And what the Bible encourages us is to funnel the energy of anger toward God in prayer. Otherwise, it can go south. It can become bitterness. We can become critical, it can become hard-hearted, and that's not the intention. The intention is to direct it to God and then watch how he translates it into prayer. Whether it's standing in the gap for a prodigal, interceding for them to come home. Can I see a show of hands if you're sitting here today and you're in the church because you know that you were prayed into the kingdom by somebody. Can you raise your hands as high as possible, please, and then keep them up? Right, I'd love to encourage you to look round at the hands that are raised. Okay, do you see these folks, these men and women, were prayed into the kingdom by someone who prayed them in? We don't know the nights, the prayers, the tears, the crying out of the mum or the dad or the best friend or the cousin or the uncle or the auntie who prayed them into the kingdom. Perhaps you have a name on your heart. Perhaps you have a person on your heart that you are praying for. Maybe it's the horrors of the war in Ukraine or the latest mass shootings. Maybe it's interceding for the men, women and children who are being trafficked into slavery around the world. 
or the broken unhoused we see on our streets. Sibs and I were talking about this yesterday. It's just so hard. I've now got into that place where you know, I've got a rhythm of when I come to work and I come down Wilshire and I look at the palm trees and the ocean and I'm like, wow, this ain't London anymore. <laughs> but I also know my regular unhoused people and I see them all the time and I can feel it wearing away at my heart. And I'm saying, Lord, ah, help me. Help me to pray and help me to know what to do. Or maybe it's our youths being besieged by waves of drugs, alcohol, porn, all sorts of addictions, high schools. What is it for you? What has God placed on your heart at this time and in this place? What country, what nation, what issue, what people? Maybe it's the church. I had someone at the end of the last service say to me in a pretty graphic way, Sometimes I look at the church and this is how I want to respond. Ah! And I went, yep, me too. What is it that God has placed on your heart? And what is it he's calling you to lean in and, and, and grow that muscle of prayer into? Every generation of the church faces its challenges and battles against evil. And this is our time and these are our battles. Ain't no one else going to do it. God is looking to us to become a people who will stand in the gap between the reality of our broken world and who will grab a hold of his promises, will and character and respond in tenacious, stubborn prayer until we see change for the sake of our city, for the sake of our loved ones, for the sake of our nation and for the sake of the world. This is what he is calling us into. And so we're going to practice this right now. Is that okay? This is why I didn't pray at the start for these things. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I want to invite us to practice praying as a people. The band's coming out. They're going to play over us so we don't hear ourselves praying or hear each other praying. And if you've never done this before, this is such an invitation because no one's going to be going, oh, listen to that. But it may be that you've got an issue on your heart. It may be that it's this week. We got contacted, I think Sarah, our family's director, got contacted by a group of mums that said, we want to come to the prayer chapel and pray instantly in response to what they saw happening in Texas. And so perhaps let's start with that. There's enough there to be crying out to God for. And we're going to open up this front space. And I'm going to invite you, whether it's because you want to respond and you want to learn how to pray and you want to cry out to God, teach me to pray. Whether it's because you're feeling that weight of, I feel God may be calling me to be an intercessor, to pray into things. Or whether it's just, you're just right now over what's going on. Then come forward. Partly because it's just more comfortable to kneel on carpet. But come forward. Show God that you're kind of like, I want to lean into this and let's see what God can do. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. If you want to come forward, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Just come and fill up the front of the stage and maybe go around the front so we can create the space for people to do that. But we want to be a people that learn how to practice crying out to God in intercessory prayer. 
Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.